Thrive Conference Series Podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com. Amen, church. Man, this has got me all bubbly. I mean, hot chocolate. <laughs> I got men in there chasing me out of the fellowship, all stealing my kisses. They've been trying to kiss all over me, Brother Jerry. Could you, uh, could I direct some of them to you? <laughs> uh, what a wonderful time it's been fellowshipping and going from table to table and getting my tips. Amen, man. <laughs> It's really been a joy to be together. We'll be in John 4 again, beginning about verse 46, as we begin teaching. And Brother Parker, I don't see him. He may have had to go. But he said, what church you preach with? I said, the one in the Bible. Amen. <laughs> He's like... Uh, Local church, I said, no, I'm a local preacher. <laughs> I said, no, sir, I said, I'm an evangelist. That's what I've been doing for almost 48 years this uh, July, or sorry, April 26. And uh, he said, well, that's what I do. He said, I'm an evangelist too. I said, well, my goal is to train people to do what I do. I said, I can't come to your town and convert all your friends because you have the relationship with them. And so there are times when you're going to see Jesus interact with people, but they have relationships with somebody else that's been teaching them about Jesus. So he doesn't just let someone go after they've obeyed John's baptism. There's somebody still cultivating that relationship. So we're going to talk about some of this here in John chapter 4, beginning of verse 46. But this little brother's got me all fired up. I'm ready to lead a, about 20 songs now. You didn't even say amen, Will. Thanks a lot, Will. See, I thought you had my back. <laughs> amen. Hallelujah. We praise God, Jehovah Church. Amen. Amen. See the baby Jesus. He was lying in a manger. Well, it was early one morning, a, 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 man day, a, a, down at the Jordan, John baptized him, for saving all sinners, a,
to that one. I just sing the gospel. <laughs> it talks about Jesus and what a savior we have. Here in John chapter four, another thing I've learned in doing evangelism is I don't have to lay the foundation. I don't have to put up the walls and the structure. I don't have to put on all the doors or the windows. You see, very few people am I going to be able to baptize them, train them, teach them, and send them out. That's not going to happen very often. And so I've learned over the years, we all play a role. They say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a church to raise a saint. It takes all of us because all the different talents that we have, elders, ministers, deacons, daddies, moms, families, potlucks, game nights, flag football games, softball games, all of that is a part of us fellowshipping and meeting needs that other individuals have that they won't get from sitting on the pew. Uh, there's a young man named Mike Lewis. His dad had been an elder. I met him at Oklahoma Christian when we came back from the mission field, lived there, and I went to Oklahoma University, University of Central Oklahoma and Oklahoma Christian. Uh, they didn't know I was that campus minister. Amen. <laughs> I just chose them my own to go out there. And... I was over in the weight room. They had a little rinky-dink weight room back in them days. And so all the kids would come in and turn on all that radio music. I ain't got time for that stuff. So I'd go in there and cut it off. And I'd be in there like, toot, 
Canaan's land on my way while the soul never died. My darkest night will turn today. And one of the days, a gentleman named Jeremy Jackson, he was on the track team. He followed me out and he said, uh, uh, Brother Willie, yes, sir, what can I do for you? He said, those guys don't like you turning that radio off singing all these gospel songs. I said, well, apparently you don't like it either. He said, it doesn't bother me. I said, you're not singing with me, so it must bother you. I said, so you and your wife are coming to my house for dinner. <laughs> and you better be there. <laughs> I knew I had him intimidated. Well, he got his marketing degree. And I said, man, you need to get a ministry. He said, uh-uh, I'm not going to be no minister. I said, okay, go out there in that darkness. Let it beat you up. He called me after two years. He said, can my wife and I come stay with you? Come on. He said, I got to preach. <laughs> so he's preaching over in Siloam Springs, Arkansas right now. One day I was in that weight room and a gentleman peeked in the door and he said, we need one more for 21. I said, I want to, I want to play. He said, no, we don't want you. I said, you don't weigh enough to tell me what you don't want. I'm playing. <laughs> so we went out and played some basketball game and I just happened to win all three games. But what impressed him was not my basketball ability. He said, you didn't lose your Christianity. This guy's dad had been an elder. He wasn't even faithful, but he's observant. He said, you didn't lose your Christianity while you was playing basketball. He said, I fouled you. I blocked your shot. I was shoving you and pushing you and holding you. You never called a foul. I said, man, I'm not playing basketball to win a game. I'm playing basketball to make an impression. <laughs> I'm out here representing Jesus, and I can whoop you represent Jesus. I can smile and still yoke it. Come on now. <laughs> that made all the difference. Brother Cottle knows Mike Lewis. He was their evangelist there at Louisville with Jeff Jenkins. You never know where you're going to meet people. And you don't know what they're looking for. Somebody that's real. He didn't want Christianity that you see on the bench. People come up and, oh, I love the great redeemer. Who is so on pitch, so beautiful. And then they go out the door and they never sing again. I don't learn these songs sitting here on this bench. I learn these songs way before I get here. My wife's not impressed when I have to pull up Facebook or pull up YouTube and sing along with some guy trying to sing to her. She's impressed when I can look her in the eye and says, from this moment. <laughs> when I can sing to her out of my own passion and my own love, I believe Christ is the same way. I don't want to have to think about what those words mean when I'm singing them. I've learned what they mean. And so when I sing them, I mean them. I know what I'm telling the Lord. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord. Turn over to John 4, 46, and we'll look at a few things here. Something that has kind of hit home with me is just watching the way Jesus deals with people. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. That takes us back to John 2. There was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. That's where Jesus moved his ministry. It was a popular town. And if you will go through your Bible, which I've done, Jesus was able to move a lot of people. He was a man of status from Capernaum. Is it no surprise that Jesus moved his ministry there? He touched a lot of people's lives from Capernaum. And so therefore he would have resources. 
when he moved this ministry there. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea to Galilee, brothers and sisters, that's 120 miles. Galilee is 120 miles north of Judea. Jews could walk 20 miles a day. So this was a six-day walk from Judea to Galilee. Is it no wonder that earlier in John chapter 4, when Jesus sat by the well, that he was weary? He had come 60 miles on foot. Uh, they didn't have QTs, 7-Elevens. Come on, church, amen. You know, you get in the car with your kids, and the first thing they say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> You ain't even started on the trip. Man, if you're going to hang out with Jesus, you better be ready to do some walking. <laughs> In fact, that dude could walk a few days without eating. These disciples, they, they, you know, they pulling grain, Jack. They're looking for something that's edible. <laughs> it wasn't just anybody going to be able to walk with the Lord. Because there's some learning that's taking place. They didn't ask Jesus if he's tired. He's gotten through with this group over here in Samaria, Syker. Spent a couple of days there. Now he's come another 60 miles. Nobody asked Jesus if he was tired. They didn't ask Jesus if he needed something to eat or drink. They were totally focused on what their needs were. Watch how he works. When he heard that Jesus had returned from Judea to Galilee, he came down and asked him to heal his son. For he was at the point of death, and that's usually the way us parents are when our kids are sick. We all panic and think they're at the point of death, even if it's a splinter. Amen. <laughs> then Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will in no wise believe. I believe Jesus is making a statement for us. Most people would have said, I'm moving my membership. That preacher, he, that sermon was directed at me. If the shoe fits, amen. Well, them elders... I think they must have told somebody else because somebody else knows what I talked to them about. I believe Jesus is saying that for us. Here's why. This man was not one who carried his feelings on his shirt sleeves. You go to somebody and ask a request and they said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will in no wise believe. Ooh-wee. If that was an American there, they'd been offended. Amen, church? That offended me. Well, as one of the guys I trained over in New Guinea said last week, he said, you know that guy you trained named, named Mervoy? Mervoy had been a superintendent for 17 years. He was Papua New Guinea's athlete of the year two years in a row, and he was Papua New Guinea's number one softball pitcher in the country. It, it took me hitting a home run off of him to get a conversation. <laughs> I said, you served me something good over the plate. I want to serve you something good on the plate. Come to my house for dinner. Anyway, he, he became a Christian, but he was very hard on his own people. And this young man was a, a young man in college when I had taught him, and Mayor was very hard on him. And this was way back in 87. Well, Mayor got out of being a superintendent, school teacher, became a full-time evangelist for some years. But anyway, he ended up getting malaria and dengue fever and passed away at about 49, 50 years old. And I posted a picture of Mayor back years ago, and Bonnie commented. So I called him over in Kansas, Australia. And I said, man, I sure miss Mayor. He spoke 11 different languages. His dad was one of the chiefs in his village. The guy just oozed with leadership. He said, Brother Willie, you know, 
Time this little man in me stop. Many got big people like him, long him. Time he stopped me thinking one plot, hot plot man through ya. Let me translate that for you. He said, when Mayor was here, I didn't appreciate him because he was so hard on me as a young man. He said, I wished I had 20 like him. Now that he's been gone, he said, I didn't understand. He said, I didn't understand. This may sound like a harsh statement Jesus is saying here. It's not harsh. That's for us. When you come to Jesus, don't carry your emotions on your shirt sleeves. Because just like parenting, so is mentoring. Sometimes we have to correct young men as we try to work with them. Sometimes we had a, a young man, some of y'all may know of Homer Haley. I was able to work with his grandson, Derek Haley, up at Oklahoma Christian. And for whatever reason, he wore the tightest jeans I ever saw a man in. Well, I wouldn't go up and tell him his jeans were too tight. But my attitude is, if you drop it like it's hot, I'm going to squeeze it off. So I'd go up behind him and I'd go, and I'd just squeeze hard as I could. I said, them buns are going to be just as dark as mine when I'm through with them. You're going you gonna to advertise them tight things? I'm going to squeeze it off. It took about a week or so, but he come out of them blue jeans. <laughs> Sometimes I, I have to watch myself, Brother Dale, because I can be somewhat tough on young men because I'm tough on me. And you can probably tell that by looking. I still take care of my body because it's something God has given me, and I know there's no trade-in value. Amen? Now, you young men want to trade 72 for... 21, 20. <laughs> so don't think this is a harsh statement. This is a sobering statement for people that would follow Jesus, just like Luke 9 and verse 23. If a man will come after me, let him deny themselves, take up their cross, whatever that is, and follow after me. And so this guy wasn't a come-by-nighter. He wasn't somebody who's just coming to Jesus, trying to get something done for his son. And then he was just going to go and disappear back into the woodwork. That ain't happening. So Jesus is letting us know that with this statement. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will in no wise believe. The nobleman, verse 49, said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's in panic mode. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed, and I want you to mark that. He believed the words that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Belief is a process, church. You don't get there overnight. It is a process. It, it, it's a journey. And it's something that's always a journey because we ought to be growing in our faith. Isn't that what Peter said? 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. Add to your faith virtue, moral excellence. Your virtue, knowledge. Your knowledge, self-control. Your self-control, patience. Your patience, godliness. Your godliness, brotherly kindness. And your brotherly kindness, love. It is a process. And it's all connected to faith. So this scripture says, he believed Jesus. And he went his way. It was too far away for him to walk, so he had to stay, spend the night, as we will see. Verse 51. And as he was now going down, this is the next day, as we'll see, his servants met him and told him, your son lives. Then he inquired of them about what hour did he begin 
to gradually, little by little, get better. That ain't the way Jesus works. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. That was his mind working. Watch what they say. They said to him, verse 52, yesterday. Can you imagine how he slept that night? How do you parents sleep when your kids are sick? I know how I sleep. I get up every 10 minutes. <laughs> he said yesterday. At about the seventh hour, the fever left him. Not a gradual thing. <laughs> Boom, it was gone. Now, this guy's a nobleman. He has position, which means he has good income, which means he's a man that understands punctuality. His servants met him. I know they didn't have no Rolex. Come on, Cottle. They didn't have no Rolex watches. They didn't have no iPads. But I can bet you this gentleman was a man that believed in punctuality. He said, servants, about what time did that happen? They didn't show up at work 20 minutes late every morning. This wasn't that kind of nobleman. These, sermon, these servants knew that this is a man about punctuality. So it went, uh, uh, we don't know the time. About the seventh hour, sir, the fever left him. So here's somebody with some credibility. Here's somebody with some responsibility. Here's somebody that had availability. Here's somebody that had accountability. And that's part of evangelism. It's not just the elders that watch on behalf of souls. The rest of us are part of that too. When we're helping someone grow, when we notice somebody hadn't been showing up the last two weeks. Elders can't cover everybody. Preachers can't cover everybody. Their members are supposed to hold some folks accountable too. I was talking to a young man we had baptized at Oklahoma Christian, Corey Cole. He was one of the, the top players that went to Oklahoma Christian. And so I said to Mike Lewis and some of the other guys, Tony Wallace, hey man, won't you guys try to teach him? Uh-uh. Man, that dude, he's the most popular athlete on this campus. You gonna let a non-Christian come on a Christian campus and have more influence than us? That ain't supposed to be happening. So I go when he got me a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Come on, church, amen. I know how to go to somebody's house. And I went over to that basketball house and all the whole team was in that one room. And they liked that extra crispy. <laughs> Ended up baptizing about five of them. Corey Cole was one of them. We moved back to America in 1991. My daughter was about seven years old. And she was the best evangelist in America. Once a week, we'd have Christians over. Once a week, we'd have a non-Christian family over. That non-Christian family come, and they have a little toy room back there, and the kids go play. My little seven-year-old come to me, and she said, Daddy, they're Presbyterian. <laughs> I said, how'd you know that? She said, I had them back there interrogating them, Daddy. Good work, girl. <laughs> I'm telling you, we came back to America. Todd Corey, well, he didn't have a car, so that sometimes he didn't show up, or Wednesday night. Next time we see him, my seven-year-old got him pinned up against the wall. Where were you on Wednesday? Um, I, I didn't have right. You know my daddy would have picked you up. You're supposed to call somebody if you ain't got a ride. <laughs> she finished high school and uh, we ran in the court and he said, Brother Willie, all of us college students feared Natalie. 
and the seven-year-old, because she gonna call us out. I don't care if it's in the grocery store. Where were you on Sunday night? <laughs> so I had to get one of them dog leashes, you know, where you can let it out. I had to put one of them clips on her. <laughs> she catch them in Walmart, <laughs> Kroger's, and I gotta reel her back in. Okay, down, girl, down. <laughs> you know, kids, if it's right, it's right. We got this non-Christian family open, and I told them, look, these folks probably aren't going to be praying, so we're going to pray over the food while Mama and I are getting it ready, and, and we're not going to pray when we eat. So all the food's passed out. They didn't say nothing about prayer, so we had already prayed, so we went on eating. She, Y'all are just like my dog. You just dig in. Shh. Come on, girl. <laughs> if you teach them right, come on, church. They don't expect you to act right. What a conversation we have going on here. What's the issue? Number one, we found a man with a crisis faith. Did he have a crisis? My son is dying. Nothing wrong with a crisis faith when it leads you to Jesus, but a crisis faith won't keep you in Jesus. It'll bring you. Amen. It'll make you pray. <laughs> but you're not just going to keep waiting for a crisis to pray. But he came to Jesus with a crisis faith. And so as we see some of these individuals Jesus encountered, this one had a crisis faith. My son is about to die. We got a crisis. We're going to have some of those this spring. That's why I appreciate what the congregation does here. We coded in with this uh, Project Unify. It's about getting involved in people's lives that have had crisis because folks are more open then sometimes than any other time. And so I look for individuals that are bleeding out or individuals that may have some crisis because that's an opportunity. Well, he lived in Capernaum. He knew about Jesus, amen? If you're reading the text, when Jesus returned, he went to him. He knew about Jesus. Why did he come before this? I don't know. Just like the rich man in Luke 16, 19 through 31, he said to Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house. I got five brothers. Well, didn't he know they wasn't living right before he died? You can't do evangelism from hell. We learned that lesson, but they learned it too late. Why didn't they do something about it? Well, you know how it is. If I say something, it's going to mess up Thanksgiving family gatherings. It's going to mess up Christmas, and then they may not come back. Well, he ain't never going back. A crisis faith can lead you to Jesus, but don't keep waiting for crisis because some people don't come back out of those. Can you imagine the lies that was told at this father's funeral? Well, daddy's in a better place now. No, he's not. Can you imagine the lies people tell at funerals? In this country, everybody preached every person who's died in heaven. There is nobody that ever died and went to heaven. Jesus said that in John 3, 13. No one has gone into heaven but the one that came out of heaven, even the Son of Man. If you died and went to heaven, you would bypass the resurrection and your spiritual body. That's impossible. Jesus was perfect, and he didn't die and go to heaven. And Peter starts there preaching about that. That David's body, he was buried and is with us to this day. He'd been a prophet for sin and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. But you see, people out there in that world, they'll tell those lies. People are being comforted at a funeral with lies. Daddy's in a better place. Well, now we read Luke 16. That's why we don't get the man's name. He had relatives. The Lord didn't want to be too hard on him. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. That gives us the time frame. This happened in the spiritual world during the time of Moses and the prophets. 
The rich man had to be Jewish because when he saw Abraham, he said, Father Abraham. The point is, he was living below his knowledge. He knew what he should have been doing and was not doing it. What a hard lesson to learn. Don't wait for crisis. But if you're in a crisis, come to Jesus. This gentleman had a crisis faith and he came to Jesus. But he also had a concerning faith. My child's about to die. He, that's somebody he's concerned about. Okay? He, he knew about Jesus beforehand, but he didn't need no miracles. Man's got a good job. He's got servants. You, you know he's got a castle. Come on, Will. He, he got, he's got that, that house. Nice. Got swimming pool. Jacuzzi. Life is good. Until the crisis come. And it hit him away hurt. Don't know if it was his only son, but he was concerned about that son. Not only was it a crisis faith, it was concerning faith. My son's about to die. Now here comes the test. Let's see if you could do this. He said, go home. Your son is well. Do you go home? Do you stress? My youngest daughter didn't become a Christian until she was 26 years old, 26 years old, Rochelle Miriam. The other three, they were 15 years old. I wanted to make sure my children were older. I believe so many times on our pews, our children don't hear sermons. They hear invitations. Because during sermons, they're eating Cheerios, color books. Come on, y'all, amen. <laughs> they're doing a lot of other things during the sermon. But their attention is only called when, ah, put that away, clean it up. They're getting ready. He's getting ready. In conclusion, throwing everything away. Kids don't hear sermons. They hear invitations. If you need to become a Christian, if you need to be baptized, that's what they're used to hearing. And so most of them want to be baptized at 10 years old. I don't ever tell a child, no, they can't be baptized. My daughter, oldest one, said that to me when she was 10. That didn't think about getting baptized. I said, well, thank you for telling me that, girl. So that night we read about four or five chapters of the Bible. Next night we read about four or five more chapters of the Bible. Begin talking about it. After about a week, she said, Dad, we're doing this every night? I said, oh, yes, ma'am. Because when you told me you think about getting baptized, I don't want you to fo focus on the act of becoming a Christian. I want you to focus on the life of the Christian. Amen? It's not about the act of becoming. It is the life that you're supposed to live when you become a Christian. After about a week of me reading and studying with her, she said, Dad, I'm not ready to be baptized. I said, no problem. We're going to keep studying, though. Because you just told me you have an interest about the life, and we're going to read about the life that a Christian is supposed to be living. She obeyed at 15. My third daughter, she said, nope, dad. She said, that's my decision. I said, yes, ma'am, you're right. And she said, I don't want to become a Christian until I choose to give my life to Jesus. I don't want a youth group. I don't want a youth minister. I don't want any preacher. I don't want nobody forcing me to make a decision I'm not ready to make. And I said, thank you. I said, thank you for not fooling your mom and I and going up there getting baptized. Thank you for not trying to fool the youth group. Thank you for not letting anybody else at these Christian camps and lectureships put pressure on you. That's your decision. Somebody asked me, like, Brother Willie, were you worried? Were you concerned? I said, that's going to be a great example, isn't it? For me to sit around and worry about my daughter becoming a Christian so she can become a Christian and worry along with me. That's not Christianity. Yes, I'm concerned about my daughter. Anything you're concerned about, take it to Jesus. And leave it there. Isn't that First Peter 5, 7? Cast all your cares upon him. 
because he cares for you. No, that was not something I worried about. I prayed about that and gave it to the Lord. Nine tornadoes were on the ground, pouring freezing rain. My son said something to me he'd never said. I was in the room, holiday time, pulling out old videos when they were all little snotty-nosed kids. We laughed during holidays. We pulled all those out and laugh at each other. How goofy you all lit when we were little. He said, Dad. I said, yes, sir, son. He said, get in here. My son's never said that to me. I said, what did you say? He said, Dad, you need to get in here. <laughs> I started walking in there. He said, your daughter has something to say to you. Yes, ma'am. She said, I'm ready to obey the gospel. And I'm thinking, there, there's nine tornado warnings going on around here. <laughs> it is freezing. She said, I don't want to be baptized in the baptistry. I want to be baptized outside. <laughs> is she trying to test my concern for her? <laughs> we went to an outdoor swimming pool, 40-something freezing, raining, tornadoes. And I was grinning from cheek to cheek when I immersed her. She's now 30 years old. That was four years ago. Yes, she knows that I love her and I'm concerned about her, but I don't sit around fretting and worrying. Philippians 4 and 6, do not worry about anything. He had a concern, faith. The Lord's got his attention now. If he hadn't got your, your attention yet, get ready for some crisis, especially about things you're concerned about. But not only did he have a crisis faith, a concerning faith, he had a curious faith. About what hour did this take place? Yesterday. He had a curious faith. He was still thinking about these things. About what hour? He's got some decisions to make, and they're big decisions because this kind of man, he don't make frivolous decisions. He don't just make decisions and then just let everything go and it doesn't keep his word. This is a man, a noble man. He's a man of his word. He's from that era where most of the white hairs in here came from, where a man's word was his bond. Come on, church. We didn't sign no prenatal and pre whatever they call it, nuptial. We didn't have all that stuff going on back then. Wasn't nobody had flood insurance, fire insurance. Why? Because if somebody's house burnt down, we all got hammers and went and just built it right back. Hobos could jump off a train, cut some firewood and slide their feet under somebody's table. Total stranger. Because back in those days, Americans knew each other. Insurance companies was something wasn't even hardly thought of because we had each other's back. No children got lost because everybody knew you. Son, come here. Hey, Mr. Johnson, your daddy? Yes, sir. Get me a switch. Boy. Everybody in the neighborhood could whoop your children. You go home and tell mama, hey, she, you give me a big switch, so it better be a big one. And wait till your daddy get home. <laughs> We all cared about each other and we had each other's back. These days, hard to love a neighbor if we don't even know him. 
Please keep marking your prayers. He's one of my neighbors during the crisis. I was studying my Bible out in the front yard fishing. <laughs> That's the way I fish with my Bible in the front yard because people walk by and ask, what's you doing reading my Bible? I immersed him in the Lord. Been knowing him for about six years, but during the crisis, he had some concerns. He had some crises. And I was able to teach him the gospel. He was curious. Not only did this man had a curious faith, he had a calculating faith. He wanted to know what time, but he's calculating. Yesterday. Is he thinking back? About the seventh hour. This man is the son of God. It was calculating. That faith is calculating now. He said, it said he believed Jesus. Watch what he goes on to say. Amazing. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the exact hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself did what? He's further along in his faith. He believed. I thought it said he believed earlier. You know, he's further along in that process. Amen, church. <laughs> As I told people, hey, y'all can treat me any way you want to because there ain't nobody in this building that can treat me worse than my eight sisters did. And I lived with them for 18 years and we're still friends. Amen. <laughs> them girl beat me every which way with loose. Ain't a name you can call me there and already called me about a thousand times and I still love them. I ain't moving my membership, but you, you must be high. <laughs> the Lord added me to this body and you start offending me. <laughs> that must be a joke. Jesus brought me here. You didn't. Don't get caught up in this stuff about the preacher, the elders. And, no, the Lord brought me here. I mean, if I lived around Decatur, I see a lot of places I can come eat if I'm hungry. <laughs> they got that membership book. I know where you live. As one of the little sisters showed me, you can uh, Google, Earth Google. <laughs> I can find your house. <laughs> We're a family. He calculated. Now watch what happened. Because this is where the Lord wants us. It became a contagious faith. It became contagious. This just blew me away. 52, then he inquired of them the hour that he was healed. And they said yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the exact hour in which Jesus said, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. You talk about contagious. The only man in the house that had seen Jesus was the father. The mother had met Jesus. The kid had met Jesus. None of the servants had met Jesus. So who's doing the preaching? The daddy. What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the man from Galilee. He's talking about Jesus. Not what he looked like, but how the man talked, how he spoke, what he said. We don't have all of it. We just have enough. Amen, church. There's more conversation. 
than a lot of these encounters Jesus had. But we've got enough here. Didn't John say that? Many other di things that Jesus and the president's disciples that aren't written in this book, but these are written that you might believe. Is your faith contagious? My kids and my wife, they watch what I do. And they know when I make a decision about something, they're on board. Because they know when I make decisions, they know that I believe I'm making a decision that God wants me to make. They know I pray about that. They know that I'm trying to please the Lord in what I do. In fact, it's gotten to such a point that my wife dresses me. Amen, church. I don't know nothing about no colors. Come on, Will. <laughs> Whether I match or don't match. <laughs> and she said, hey, honey, what, what's up? She said, give me the twirl. What you talking about? She said, you don't know how a woman think. <laughs> she said, uh-uh. We got to give that up. That's too tight. That's too short. I don't argue with her. Because I don't know how a woman think either. Amen, Brother Jerry? <laughs> I don't know how long y'all been married, Brother Barbara, but you, mm, I don't know how a woman think because I ain't never been a woman. Amen? And she gets dressed, heads out, whoa, whoa, come on, girl, give me the twirl. She's like, what? I said, you don't know how a man think. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful that my wife and I can dress each other? Because I know how a guy thinks, she knows how a woman thinks. If my woman said, you can't wear that, I get rid of it. Because I know she's thinking about my good. She's got a concern in faith for me. And she wants me to be contagious. Amen. She doesn't want me to be a distraction to anybody. So I don't have a problem with that. I'm, my daughters can do that. If they tell me something, whoa, daddy, your breast stink. <laughs> I know to get some lifesavers. <laughs> that we don't have a problem of helping one another. This man would never be the same. Now that he's encountered the man Jesus, when you talk about evangelism, Jesus picked up what someone else had been cultivating. And this gentleman went back home and he was so contagious, his wife obeyed. I believe this gentleman was baptized just like his family because John's baptism had gone into effect. I believe his servants were baptized. When they heard him talk about Jesus, they had not heard this man talk about anybody the way he spoke about Jesus. Have you been around anybody to ever read a story and the way they read that story? It comes alive. He spoke about Jesus in such a way. When my kids were young, my wife would read the book, I Love You Forever. I love you always. As long as you're living, my baby, you'll be. My wife would read those stories to our children, and I would lay there cry, thinking about my mama. She made the story come alive. The centurion was contagious enough that when he spoke about Jesus, his wife obeyed. His children obeyed. His servants obeyed. His whole household, the writer wants us to know. This guy had a contagious faith, and I know it didn't stop in Capernaum. Amen, church? <laughs> Whoever he worked for, wherever he worked, he's going to be talking about. Okay? And I don't say, have a little talk with Jesus. I say, 
Now let us have a good talk with the Father. Let us tell him all about our trouble. He will hear our faintest cry. He will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayerful yearning as your heart in heaven is turning, you will find a good talk with the Father makes it right. I can rock that outside these walls. I have to be careful, though, because a different culture anymore, and I don't want to scare nobody. <laughs> The church, when we sing with passion, as my little brother has been doing, and I'm appreciative for him. But I want to sing in such a way, I want to live in such a way that my faith becomes contagious. It attracts, it draws, it woos, influences others to want to know more, to want to be more. Appreciate your time. Let's bow for a prayer. Holy and righteous Father, what a joy it is to not just pray to you, but to know that we are before you and we have access because of Jesus to your presence, that we're never out of your presence since we've obeyed the gospel. And so we know that your blood continually cleanses us because we're constantly repenting and turning from and turning to. Father, we thank you for insight such as Jesus has given us in these encounters and pray that we too can meet individuals that may have a crisis faith, that may have a concerning faith, they may have a calculated faith. Father, we want to have a contagious faith. Help us to be contagious and our faith in you by the way we dress, by the words we use, by the movies we watch, by the music we listen to, by the places we go, by the friends that we have. Help us to live in such a contagious manner that all those around us can be drawn to you because of our desire to be contagious for you. We thank you so much for this contagious singing, fellowship, and the time that we are having together. And pray, Father, we can maintain this as we study and fellowship and grow so that we might be able to draw others as Jesus did with this nobleman here. Thank you for the lessons we learned through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said. Thrive. Conference. Series. Podcast. To find out more, go to littlemountainministries.com.